We're the Legends of the Stoop. We're here to advocate, educate, and inspire society. Welcome back to Legends of the Stoop. I am your host, Mike Pernice. Today, my guest joining me is none other than my father, Frank Pernice, in our celebratory episode for Father's Day. So, Dad, thank you for joining me here on the Stoop today. I appreciate you letting me come in and help you tell your story. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you know, it's been meaning to have this for a while now, but I feel like this is just the right time for us to have this. After we're just celebrating one year of you owning Let's Cooking at Casey's here in Oakmont, PA, uh, you know, I think it's an important time now to start telling your story and how you came about acquiring Casey's um, and why this opportunity means so much to you, Uh, but not just to you, but also to me and the girls and the rest of the family as well. So... Without further ado, please go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them a little bit about who you are. Audience, thank you very much. My name is Frank Bernice, of course, Michael's dad. Uh, my background pretty much started in retail. Uh, my first job out of college, I was working for my uncle selling uh, health and beauty care and grocery products. I got into uh, into uh, companies like Giant Eagle, Shop and Save, uh, Superfoods, Super Value. Uh, national accounts that I was managing for my uncle at the time. I worked there with my uncle for approximately two years and then moved on to uh, Super Value down in Charleston, South Carolina. And this uh, is in about what year? This was 1991. Okay. Uh, left Pittsburgh, went to Charleston, worked there for two years before they closed our division, moved the operations to Atlanta, Georgia at that time. And July of 94, I came back to Pittsburgh working for Thrift Drug Incorporated, which was the sixth largest drug chain at that time in the country. Um, worked at Thrift until 1997. Thrift Drug was owned by Jason Penny, and Penny's bought Eckerd and merged the two companies and moved operations to Florida. I then went on worked with a small wholesale company here in Pittsburgh servicing the convenience store trade. Um, did that for about four months and from there moved on to an imported company um, right along through River Stadium, now PNC Park. Um, worked there for two years uh, learning importing and then from there moved on to uh, GNC corporate offices um, managing the health Sport nutrition category for GNC for approximately 13 years. Um, was at GNC until 2012, had various jobs in between until last year, uh, 2020, during the pandemic when I bought uh, this restaurant and really felt that my niche with purchasing sales, contracts, <clears throat> managing inventory, budget responsibilities, and so forth that I've had over the years really prepared me for taking this leap of faith. Not only that, but my family being part of Oakmont for over 100 years really led itself to me feeling comfortable with uh, taking this restaurant over. We uh, I probably know 50% of the people that come through the door. Those that I don't know, 
either know of me or someone from my family. So for me, it was a no-brainer to uh, take this establishment over. Casey's has been in operations for about 40 years with such a great reputation and following. I'm not sure if you can see, but up on our wall here, we have all the U.S. Open champions from Oklahoma Country Club going back 30 years. So everybody from Jack Nicholas on Palmer, on Hell Cabrera, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, they've all aided this establishment. And we have such a great following. Bob Ford, the Pro at Oakmont, is in here three days a week. We have the ex CEO, Mr. Tom Usher, is in here with his family a few times a week as well. So the, the following and the support that we get from the Oakmont community has been outstanding. <clears throat> and to uh, have my children join me in working here really has meant a lot uh, for me over the last year. Yeah. So, and you mentioned too about the family history here that we have in Oakmont over 100 years of history. Why don't you go ahead and dive into a little bit of that? As you did mention, you know the U.S. Open winners that we have up on the wall. Why don't we go ahead and tie in a little bit of that family history and uh, explain to them what Oakmont really means to the Bernice family and why we're so well known. Well, they, my, my grandparents emigrated from Italy in 1921. They settled here in Oakmont at that time. My grandfather retired from Edgewater Still here in Oakmont uh, back in the early 70s. Uh, at the same time, he caddied at Oakmont Country Club for 85 years. He is inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Golf Hall of Fame in 2002. Sorry, I got choked up there, but I'm just very proud of that. And knew everybody. So he caddied for, you know, again, Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, uh, many, many celebrities in not only the movie industry, but in professional golf. So that tie to the Oakland community has been just so strong. And um, my dad's entire family grew up here raised their children here, and I grew up here as a kid. My children, the third generation, would come down and visit my grandparents here as well. So that connection has been key to the Pernice family, and it feels so good for me to be able to offer something back to a community that gave so much to my family. Yeah, sorry. No, it's all right. And the thing is, too, is like there is a lot of history and a lot of memories that have been created here, you know, not just from your childhood, but then from grandpa's childhood, you know, great grandpa's childhood as well, you know. So, why don't you kind of walk me through a little bit of the changes that were endured during the time in which. Like you came into Oakmont, right? So back in 1966. Yeah, so from like 1966 to now, how much has this place really changed, or has it not at all? Oakmont has pretty much been historic uh, the entire time. How much has really changed here? Although some of the landscape has changed, but it's still one of those old neighborhood communities where family means everything, where the community is so strong. And everybody works together and knows each other. Uh, it's a wonderful place to raise kids, to have a family. 
um, to come here and work and be outside and I'm watering the flowers and people are walking up and down the boulevard and they're stopping and saying hello to me and how's your kids, how's your family. I mean, that's, that's really what this place is about. And this restaurant, what I want it to be is I want it to be a place where those memories are made, um, where you meet your parents for lunch when you come home from college or when you're out shopping and this becomes a destination. So that providing that type of environment where we're bringing people together, uh, which I think is lacking at home. Families aren't together anymore eating as a unit. And here it, it reminds me of my childhood where we were always together. You know, five o'clock was dinner time. You were there or you didn't eat. And that's how I grew up. In an Italian family, <laughs> uh, food and dinner is everything. And I'll tell you what, when the bell rings, you better sit down and take spot. Or guess what? You're not going to eat something that morning. And um, that's what I really want this place to be, is a destination and a place where memories are made and the families come together as a unit, which I think is very important. Now, what's one of the destinations for you in your childhood? What was that staple you know, for you in the Oakmont community that like, your family either you know, met up at, or you and your cousins met up at, you know, I mean, what was, what was the attraction for you and like when you were growing up? Sure. Well, it was my grandparents' house, right? Nobody had money back then to, to go out. We very rarely went out as kids. Uh, dinner was always at my grandparents or at home. So for me, it was running into my cousins when I was down at my grandfather's eating at the dining room table, you know, spaghetti and meatballs and a pot of greens at once, you know, or homemade soup and salad from the garden out back. So that's that's really how this evolved, and um, that's why this restaurant is so important to me. Yeah. So when it when it comes to not only just like trying to make this into a staple, right, for other people to come and create their memories, right? So trying to be almost a you want to be that household name, and then you want to be a staple restaurant, right? Where people come and they, it's not just like they're coming for the food, right? They're coming for the environment. They're coming for the experience, the staff, right? The whole mechanism in which a restaurant operates on. So what to you in the background in which that you portrayed to the audience earlier, what are some like key features that you can draw from the background that you have and what has prepared you now for this moment? Well, again, I think uh, I've always been as funny. When you run a category that's $250 million, for me to step down and run a restaurant that's, you know, anywhere from 800000 to a million dollars in sales, I felt like I was prepared to do so. Um, to sit down and discuss pricing with my vendors, that's all part of my experience. So for me, it was really knowing the price of the food that's actually on the plate. And I drilled down by what our true cost is. Therefore, I can determine what our margin should be and how that dinner should be priced. And again, we take in consideration our surroundings, what other restaurants, you know, what their price, what their retail price is on, on the menu and so forth. And we, we, we want to be competitive. You know, I'm not here to try to gaff anybody. At the same time, you got to make money to pay the bills. Let me tell you, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, what's what's some of the surprises that have come in this year? Like COVID aside, obviously that has its own challenges and its own surprises. But just like 
the operations of the restaurant, right? What, what's been some of the surprises that you've encountered along the way? Well, for me, it was probably, I would say, the biggest surprise was the staff, right? I mean, you're working with people, some people, it's their first job. Some of the women, have, they've been doing this 20 to 30 years. So having that combination of lack of experience with a lot of experience and try to bring everyone together and work as a unit, Sometimes that's difficult when you have a, a 60 year old woman that's been serving for 30 years and now an 18 year old girl who misses their first job. Right. So it's, you know, making sure everyone understands everyone has a responsibility to do. When there's a breakdown, it then creates chaos for everybody involved. Right. right? Someone calls off or someone doesn't show or someone isn't doing part of their job so it's picked up by somebody else it causes frustration it causes a lot of rift which you don't need and what i try to tell my staff is look make it a place where you want to be i don't want to have to sit here and manage looking over your shoulder i manage from afar i'll tell you what you need to do what you might be doing wrong but for the most part i want it to be a happy place i want it to be an escape from reality and for most people it is right my mother raised four children in our home, and going to work was actually a break for her. Mm-hmm. She was around grown-ups again, right? She would, she could have an adult conversation again. And that's what I want this to be, is really a place where you don't mind being. And I think we've done that here. Um, even with people that don't work here anymore over the last year, have called me and said, man, I really miss it there. I, I, I enjoyed it there because of the way we manage. And um, I try to tell people, look, everyone's got issues, everyone's dealing with a problem somewhere in their life. Leave it at the door before you come in. And let's all put a smile on, let's greet our customers and give them the best service we can. Yeah, I mean, and it's an, it's imperative that we create, more so you create an environment in which staff feels like they are part of something, right? I mean, I'm sure you've worked in jobs where you just have felt like a number, right? Right. Versus as when you've been in different work environments where you felt like, okay, I'm a part of a team or I'm a, you know, I'm a part of something, right? So what has that experience more so drawing back on the corporate America experience you have had? What has that shown you in terms of trying to develop a work environment here for your staff? Well, when I... When I stepped out of corporate America, the one thing I always said is, you know, the greatest thing in life is to have a job you enjoy going to because work never feels like work. And for me, I knew that I didn't want my staff to ever feel like you're under somebody's thumb. When you get, you're you're punching a clock or you're being watched by upper management with who you go out to lunch with, what time you're showing up for work, what time you're leaving for lunch. That's a hell of a way to work. I tell you, it's an environment that I never wanted to be part of again, and I refuse to bring it here. I give these people responsibility. I give them uh, enough of a room to hang themselves if they screw up, but at the same time, they know what my expectations are. And I think it's very important and clear to have those expectations on paper, on black and white, uh, so that these people not only hear it, but they see it, they're aware of what their expectations are and what they need to do. And if the job title 
is uh, very clear and self-explanatory to them. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a step back for a second and kind of drill home this corporate America experience in which you had for umpteen years. I mean, 30 years. So yeah. take me through the changes in which that you endured as you worked in corporate America over the last handful of decades. Well, the biggest change for me was, you know, my first job. We we had just heard my uncle had just got the first computer. Um, prior to that, all our orders were written down on cards, and we faxed them over to corporate office in Dayton, Ohio, where they were key punched into the system. Then he got the computer. We were then entering our own orders into the system. But when I left Pittsburgh and went to Super Value. Charleston, they were so far behind the times. We had to write our orders. I had a, it was called a stock status where it gave you the item description, the cost, it showed you what your weekly movement was, and then you had to write over here on the end how much you were buying in dozens. Okay, you then at the end of the day would tear these tickets off, take them downstairs, drop them in a box, and the girl would sit there and do nothing but enter the item code. And the quantity into the system for each item. We carried over fifty-five thousand items in the warehouse. Oh, God, <laughs> you talk about mundane and, and boring work, but it got done. But was it efficient? Though? No, it was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. There were a lot of mistakes. Uh, a lot of things that were ordered were ordered wrong quantities, wrong item because each item has its own unique item code, and sometimes the codes were key punched incorrectly and it was a nightmare. So then they went to a, a new software where we ordered that by exception. Mm-hmm. And I would have to go in and build a forecast for each item. Okay. So I would look at what my history was and then I would determine from that history over like a six month period what my estimated weekly movement would be. And I'd create a forecast for that item. The system would then generate the order, and I had the opportunity to either accept it or reject or edit, edit okay. that item code. And um, the systems now, the software now, is so it, it's unbelievable what they're doing now. Yeah. But again, with anything else, with automation comes less jobs. So the more this type of software is available, the more it's going to be affecting the number of people needed. Right. To do the job. Well, yeah, because it's like you're creating a, an efficient system that can simply almost nowadays run its all of them run themselves, yeah, essentially. Right. It's very limited user input into these systems nowadays. You know what I mean? So it's like, yes, as as the systems get better, we get more efficient, right? Which right. then drops your cost of operations because then you don't have to hire the girl that's sitting there punching Absolutely. in those orders. Because essentially you could have been doing that yourself, right? You know, what I mean, so it's a it's a give and a play, and you know, it's kind of like where's the balance between the two? And I think that's where right now is what we're seeing is, and what we're going to be seeing in the next decade, uh, next two decades from here on out is the more the more the automation, right, becomes a part of the of the supply system, the supply chain. Yeah, the less and less amount of people are going to be involved in that supply chain. 
so then it's what do we do with the workforce? So do we retrain, right? Where do we find the jobs that are being replaced? You're going to have to. And that's one thing that I kept in mind as I evolved from job to job also, is I knew in the back of my mind, at some point my job is going to be eliminated due to increased software, right? So at that point in 1998, I created my own company, Still City Trading, where I was importing from Canada and other places and selling to the dollar store trade other wholesalers here, far more giant eagle shop say. Which is also when I came into the picture. <laughs> and I, I did that for approximately 14 years as well. So having my own business background really showed me a lot. And it, it helped me to stand on my own two feet. And again, that type of experience led me to want to do something on my own again. And, you know, today, and I'm telling all of you out there that are listening, when you reach a certain age, like I have, and you're 55 and you're losing a job, it's very, very difficult to keep your earning potential, what it was, number one. And number two, it's even harder to get an interview because a lot of companies don't want you. Uh, you're now too old, they think you might not systems and software and other things that are involved to do the job. Right. Um, that's why I'm so glad to be doing something like that. Yeah. So tell me about the time in which you exited corporate America. Like as as you got laid off from GNC, right? And then until here, tell me a little bit about this stretch. Oh, because which, I, I think it's important not just for me to hear it again. But for other people to hear it, because well, it's not just the, it's a unique story, but it's a story in which it's been duplicated probably thousands and millions of oh, times yeah, yeah, yeah. around this country, listen, throughout the world. You don't know what, you don't know what the good Lord has in store for you, number one. Um, I lost the job at GNC in 2012. It took me then 14 months to find another position. Uh, that position lasted eight months where I was hired to that hire a staff. Once I got the staff hired and trained, I was like, so they virtually got two for the price of one. And that puts a bitter taste in your mouth. I mean, it really does. I'm 50 years old with three small children, Michael that attending Central Catholic. It was a struggle. Um, I've done everything from recruiting to selling plumbing to, you know, outside sales, selling tractors. I mean, I did whatever I could to make a living and try to provide, but I tell you, it was a very, very difficult period of my life. And it's a humbling experience. Um, and you know what they say, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's when things will happen. But all those experiences and all those tough times, again, lent itself for me to be where I'm at now and gave me the ability to manage this restaurant through a pandemic and being shut down by the state and a year later come out of that storm and we're still open when other establishments have been in business for 20, 30 years, couldn't make it. Nobody would have thought that I had the wherewithal to make it through such a very, very difficult period. 
But again, it's not me. It's the community. It's the people that have helped me. That's how I made it. And, you know, praying every night to God and thanking Him for His help. Um, I don't know where I'd be right now. I really don't. And it, it's frightening to think um, that your life can change that drastic overnight. And I remember laying in bed with my kids. And I used to tell them, give thanks for what you have. Look around at how we live because it can all change. And I remember we went to Atlantis, had an incredible vacation. Three months later, I was out of a job and it changed my life forever. Really different. And um, it's, it's been a hell of an experience. And if you were to sit down with yourself, right? So, like, take Frank Pernice right here, right now, and then right across from you, you see Frank Pernice who just lost his job at GNC. What do you tell him? I tell him to hold on. I tell him to listen. It's all about time. Life is all about time. Uh, life can be brutal. Now, there's no guarantee that you know of anything in life, um, and I learned that in a very hard way. Um, you just got to keep pushing and get up each day and get out there and try to make something work. And a lot of times, you know what? You'll stumble, you may fail. I have, I'm not proud of it, but you know what? I always told my kids, you learn more from failure than you do success, and uh. I'm proof. I'm definitely proof of that because I went through some very difficult periods, but I came out of it. And having this place um, puts a smile on my face and say I'm still here. So I say to all kids, keep your dreams in front of you, work hard, just keep pushing forward, and and thank those that are around you that give you the strength to keep moving forward. Because without you know people and support, you won't make. That, that's what I said. Just, just keep pushing forward. So, taking a step away from where we are right now, so we've talked a little bit about Oakmont and the history of Oakmont. We've talked a little bit about what's cooking at Casey's and the history that's around it. Um, I think we've even mentioned the fact that what's, what's cooking at Casey's has been here for 40 years, right? So, and we're talking about now, you know, you owning this place for a year. And essentially, I remember when we when you took over, it was just the mindset was, okay, there's a structure here that we just kind of need to keep the doors open, right? Just keep the money coming, paying the bills, yeah. and then we can start looking at seeing what needs tweaked, what needs updated, what, how can then we take our our vision of what what's cooking at Casey's where it should be and how we can start slowly tweaking those things. So I kind of want to talk about a little bit about COVID before we dive into, you know, some of the things that are going to be happening with what's going at Casey's. So just simply focusing on COVID and the immense pressure that it put, not only just on you, but the rest of the service industry, um, what are some of the things that you have heard and what some of the or some of the you know bits of advice and stuff like that that have been either given to you or some things that you have learned just from the process itself that you can kind of share with other listeners who may be in a similar position that you are owning a restaurant or know somebody owns a restaurant, um, you know, trying to find trying to find people to work or 
trying to, you know, apply for grant money and these types of things. So talk to me a little bit about what the COVID experience has been like on top of just, you know, running the restaurant. Well, the COVID experience for me was very difficult because, you know, we went from being open 50% closed on to takeout only, then 25%, and then two months later back to 50% and then closed on again. So that whole roller coaster ride, um, interfered with the way we purchase our products, uh, the way we do our staffing. You know, how many people do I need on for a day shift? Well, when you're only doing takeout, it was me and one other person up front packaging orders and getting them getting them stays for pickup with one cook in the back. Uh, half the place was lit, the other half the place was dark to try to conserve electric for the energy. But it was really drilling down and seeing the cost of operations via your utilities, cost of food, wages, and everything else. That it was a battle. I mean, it was a battle. And then, you know, we we did word that you know we might be open on Monday, and Monday comes, we haven't heard anything, and then Thursday, boom, we're back open to fifty percent. There's people walking in the door, and I got one server on because everyone else is on unemployment. Right. So it's been very, very difficult finding help and workers um, because of the unemployment situation where they were getting the extra money to essentially stay home affected all the local restaurants here in Pittsburgh and around the country. So that COVID experience was, uh, it reminds me of my grandparents telling me what it was like during the Great Depression. Where things were rationed, and you could only buy so many eggs a week, and so much flour and sugar. Well, it was like same here, where we were pretty much rationed because our suppliers only had so much meat available, so much ground meat, so many eggs. Uh, you couldn't find certain types of cheeses because dairy was was out, or it was so yeah. high priced. And takeout containers, yeah, everything, absolutely. The, the the ordering, you know, and we're not set up. For takeout here, we're, we don't. I don't have forty feet of a counter space to just stage orders. So we were putting orders in our booths, waiting for Grubhub and DoorDash and those uh, drivers to come in and, and pick up the orders. So it was it was it was very very difficult. I'm glad I experienced it. Um, but what I will say was, I think coming in and not being open at a hundred percent gave me the time flexibility to really look at the issues that were in front of me and how to prepare and how to take that time to come up with solutions, right? We could all sit here and point fingers of what the problems are, but how many people come up with solutions? That's right. the key. Right. And, and I think that's what I did. So, so essentially what I'm hearing is the fact that you kind of look at COVID is from, from the business perspective, Obviously, it's almost like a like a blessing. I do. I, I think for me, it, it gave me a, it gave me time to really come in because I never owned a restaurant before. It gave me time to really come in when things weren't busy and want to assess my staff. Right? Who was a good server for breakfast? Who could serve lunch? Who could serve dinner? Who the cooks were? What their strengths were? What their weaknesses were? What about our equipment? I mean, how were the stoves and fires and cores and everything to come in uh, to come into play? Did they need fixed or serviced or whatnot? Um, I did get some things serviced during that time. 
because we weren't open. So it enabled the core guy to come in and put free on it in the core. It enabled Pepsi or Coca Cola to come in and serve us their soda foam on the front end, fix the pizza oven. Yeah. We got the pizza oven fixed, which was down for six months prior. So um, I do see it as a blessing in a lot of ways. And like I said, when you navigate yourself through difficult times, it prepares you for success later on. And um, I yeah. feel that's what COVID is on. And not only that, too, I mean, you know, the different trials and tribulations that everyone goes through in their life, right, prepare you for certain moments. Right. So, you know, who knows if what you went through after you got let go at GNC and all that time up until you got cases, you know, that could have been essentially the mental, I guess, like preparation that you needed. So when you got in here that you weren't like essentially feeling overwhelmed or like, you know, like there's too much going on, you know what I mean? So I think that it was not just a benefit in terms of mental preparation, but in terms of just like the character building as well as essentially, you know, made you, I guess, I feel like appreciate even more so what it is that you have in front of you right here, right now. Right. Well, like I said, you know, when you when you finally have success, you got to walk through the valley first to get to the mountaintop. And um, I've done that for probably eight years. I mean, I'm not at the top by no means, but I feel grateful and, and humbled to say that we survived. And but I tell you, it was going through that tough period, that tough tough stress that that prepared me to go through COVID deal with this for the last what 13 14 months i mean it's been brutal but i have the, the guts and the foresight to to navigate through it and i couldn't have done it without going through trials and tribulations in my past and i thank god for it every day yeah so i kind of want to look at what is coming so i know like we said like the past year was simply more of a, a mindset of hey we know there's some issues here that need addressed, but because of COVID, we have to keep the doors open. We just got to keep the money flowing. Right. You know, so talk to me a little bit about some of the changes uh, that are coming for the restaurant, you know, such as I know we talked about the interior um, as being one of the things. So why don't you go ahead and just kind of elaborate on what's coming for what's cooking at Casey's? Well, what's coming, what's cooking at Casey's, number one, is we, we paired up with Glenn's Custard, another family uh, business here in Cheswick where we're now serving Glenn's Custard within our establishment, which is which is a great breakthrough for me. I met with uh, their general manager. We put together some marketing and social media plans with Michelson, of course, and uh, we're going to be promoting Glenn's Custard here in in our restaurant. We're going to have window planes up in the front windows. We'll have table cuts on all the tables. Uh, we'll now be able to serve the Glenn's Custard with our own desserts. Which is uh, which is fabulous, and um, the other thing we're doing, we we sat down, I struck a deal with a company called Rudy R U T I. They are the advertising agency for Giant Eagle, and essentially, starting next month, on the back of your register tape or receipt, um, which look at the cases, we'll have an ad and a coupon um, on the back of the register receipts in the store in the get go over in Carmerville. And the market district store in Fox Chapel, which gets probably twenty five thousand cash receipts a week, which is enormous. So 
it's, it's being out there in front of people and understanding that uh, to grow the marketplace, you have to dive into markets where you have a win. Um, we do well here in Oakmont, Verona, Cheswick, but getting across the river and the bridges into Aspenball and those areas, Indianola, uh, even Shaler, would be huge for for uh, cases. And uh, I'm proud that we're, we're going to be having that done here starting next month. Yeah. So, and I know another thing that's coming to, like, we're partnering up with Chow now, right? New delivery service. So you'll be able to place orders online directly through our website. Yeah. Um, another thing is, too, we got the new menus coming, right? Right. Doing a lot of build your own type of items that are coming out right. of menu. We got some vegan options, some more gluten free options. So that way, those who have certain type of allergies or digestive intolerances will be able to come and experience the same quality, like home good food that we offer just throughout our regular menu and that we've been offering for four years. Now it's kind of like, okay, hey, we see where we're lacking in terms of people that we can't reach because of what we're serving, right? So now we're not just keeping what we have, but now we're able to expand, right? And I think that's something that we touched upon earlier about what was important to, in order to essentially put your stamp on this restaurant, right? Well, the other thing too that I noticed is Oakmont Verona is predominantly Italian. Some Greek, but mostly uh, heavy, heavy Italian. Neighborhood. So what I wanted to do was come in and bring more of that home cooked Italian foods into the restaurant. You know, um, the Frankie special is the pasta marinara with the diced banana peppers, the Italian sausage, parsley, basil, pecorino, romano cheese. I mean that that's a staple with my family, and I thought it'd be uh, a great addition to the menu here for the restaurant. So bringing back a lot of the Italian. We now have a Sicilian pizza, which is a 16-cut, one-and-a-half-inch thick uh, pizza crust that we uh, that we now have. We have that on the breakfast pizza as well. Um, the hot stuff banana pepper hoagie, which is selling with hotcakes. Um, and also we have our own home-cooked desserts, homemade desserts. I have a local woman here, Jamie Lee, does a tremendous job on the cakes and pies that she makes, as well as my Makes uh, some damn good raisin <laughs> cake. <laughs> the, the raisin cake for us, which the elderly people do enjoy with a cup of coffee. So it's been uh, it's been a great experience and a lot of fun for me to put you know a couple of touches on some areas that I thought needed to be improved. And I think we've done a good job with that. We're definitely getting a lot of feedback from the from the public that they're enjoying it. They like to see what we've done. We're bringing a lot of that homemade food back. To the restaurant, which I felt it definitely needed. Yeah, and then also too, like as of right now, you know, we are working on like a rebranding phase right now. Um, so the new menus, um, and then our new delivery system will be coming out uh, after we close down for the fourth. So essentially, when we reopen after the fourth, it's still going to be the same cases, but just with a just a little, little modern touch. To yeah, it. yeah, a little little Bernice touch to it, which we needed. We needed it. Thank God for Michael because the, uh, the social media, the, the uh, marketing, uh, he's done a great job. And um, proud to have him. 
my dad. I love you too. And I thank you so much for stopping by the stoop. So I'll go ahead and I'll do the honors of signing you <laughs> off in terms of for keeping up with what's cooking at Casey's. Make sure you check out the website at www.whatscookingatcasey's.net, not .com.net. And then also make sure to tune into the Facebook and Instagram page to keep up with the weekly specials, pictures, videos of the cooks, all the fun stuff that we do behind the scenes in order to create that environment that we want you to come and be a part of and make your own family memories here with us again at What's Cooking at Casey's at 608 Allegheny River Boulevard here in Oakmont, PA. Again, we've been welcoming all to Munja since 1984. <laughs> So again, please come on down. Uh, and again, Dad, thank you for um, stopping by the stoop today, uh, for sharing your story, and then also uh, again for just being my dad. I love you. Love you too. Thank you very much. Sorry for being so emotional. And as always, make sure to tune into our website at www.legendsofthestoop.com in order to keep up with all of our guests and all new episodes. We will be running a new episode every two weeks so make sure to tune in for all of the new uh, people that we'll have coming in this year also have a flash sale for some merchandise that will be coming out with some information here in the next couple weeks and also too we are looking to do a benefit concert series uh, starting in mid to late August so again details will be coming out shortly so please make sure to tune into the website and into our Instagram and Facebook page for all your updates on Stoop News. Again, this is your host, Mike Pease, signing off. Thank you all.